This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Welcome to Done and Done. I'm Alicia, your hostess on this podcast journey, All Things Dominic Dunn where nothing is linear and everything is connected. And I am so delighted you're here. Thanks so much for joining our investigation as we continue throughout our threads of community, colony, and all the intersections of old and new Hollywood this season. This week, we are beginning our journey into the life and death of Marilyn Monroe. Before we get started on our episode today, I do have a spyglass just right here covered in all the mirror ball glitter, giving tremendous thanks to our newest supporters over at patreon.com slash done and done, Sandra J and Kathy B. Holy cats, y'all rock. Thank you, thank you so much. Friends, y'all can get in over on Patreon for two bucks a month for every episode ad-free that Done and Done releases. For five bucks a month, you get bonus episodes along with that. Your support there, your support of the podcast is so appreciated. Y'all are funding my trip to Dominic Dunn's archives next year. I know, I can't even wait. I can't tell you how much I appreciate your support in this investigation we have happening. Y'all are the best. There are a lot of threads that we're going to begin to weave today throughout the life of Norma Jean Baker, Marilyn Monroe, as she is far more famously known by. What a life to celebrate, and what a life to understand. When I think of Marilyn Monroe, the song that comes into my mind is Mirrorball by Taylor Swift. It's a wonderful song, and to me, really channels Marilyn. The first verse in the chorus here, just so you can get into my frame of mind. I want you to know I'm a mirrorball. I'll show you every version of yourself tonight. I'll get you out on the floor. Shimmering beautiful, and when I break, it's in a million pieces. Hush, when no one is around, my dear, you'll find me on my tallest tiptoes, spinning in my highest heels, love, shining just for you. Marilyn Monroe spends her life reflecting the qualities, the traits, and the picture that any particular viewer of her wants to see. And I think that's what she did in her life, dear Marilyn. She shined just for you, for us. She shined so bright, but at what cost to her? Dominic and Marilyn were friends, or friendly enough for him to call her Marilyn and her to call him Nick. They used to sit together at the lunch tables at the studio And his recollections of her are quite something. Dominic Dunn will say he just simply worshipped her. Our man Nick's time in Hollywood would have overlapped with Marilyn's from 1957 or so until her death. But Nick and Marilyn were definitely in the scene together for quite a few years. But this episode, today, the first of our Mirrorball episodes, this month in honor of Marilyn, We're going to focus on her early life, her birth, her childhood, 
her first marriage, and getting Marilyn right to the steps of her stardom. There are so many players in this story that you will know they're part of our recurring cast, as well as the introduction of some new players too. But again, this is the world that Dominic Dunn is writing about and how it all comes together. But I want you to expand a little bit out of Dominic Dunn's world and just think about our world and times today. Marilyn is still very much with us, all around us even. Marilyn was not only worshipped in life, but in death too. A recent silkscreen of her image by Andy Warhol just sold for $190 million in May of this year. Kim Kardashian caused a real ruffle uh, wearing the very famous Marilyn Monroe gown from Jack Kennedy's 1962 birthday party. Kim Kardashian did wear this to the Met Gala a few weeks ago. Marilyn will never leave our culture. And I think of the poor orphan girl just starting out looking, not just looking, but desperately seeking someone, anyone to love her. Let's investigate. Norma Jean Baker was born June the 1st, 1926. Norma Jean is born in a charity ward at the county hospital to a recently separated mother whose name is Gladys Monroe Baker. At the time, Gladys was working as a film cutter. Also, Gladys is kind of a flapper girl. Norma Jean is named after Norma Talmadge and Jean Eagles. At the time of Norma Jean's birth in 1926, Norma Talmadge is married to Joseph Skank, who will factor in Marilyn's life prominently within the coming years. But Mama Gladys is kind of broke, not a lot of money and a whole lot of problems. And in 1926, being single with a child just wasn't a thing. Gladys is strapped with bills and fairly incapable of taking care of a child. Gladys does suffer from mental illness and has institutionalized most of Norma Jean's young life. Gladys will put Norma Jean in an orphanage where Norma Jean will live and proceed up into about the age of seven throughout many orphanages and foster homes. At one of these homes, you think there would be a bright spot for our sweet Norma Jean There's a foster father that will give little Norma Jean a black and white dog, and she calls that dog Tippy. And Tippy loves Norma Jean, and she loves him. Tippy walks her to school and waits to play with her at recess. In 1932, when Norma Jean is about five or six, her best friend in the whole world, Tippy, was shot by a neighbor who claimed the dog was rolling around in his garden. Marilyn will later claim in her autobiography that this neighbor cut Tippy in half with a hoe. Sweet poor child just never gets a break. Between the death of animal friends and the variety of foster homes, there is some influx of religion and faith. She does end up in a Christian scientist home for a while, but 
not enough really to get this kid through. Things do. Look up a little bit for Norma Jean. She's always rooting for her mom, and her mom is always rooting for her. And at some point, when Norma Jean is about seven or eight, Gladys really does get it together. She's released from the institution. She's been working. She has enough money to buy a home. And Norma Jean here is happy. She feels like the transient childhood that she's had is over. Although Norma Jean never knows who her father is, no one ever really claims her. She is happier now than she's ever been. Norma Jean's childhood dreams naturally convince her that her father is Clark Gable. But at least now she has a mom. And things are pretty great with Gladys and Norma Jean until mom takes in a boarder who will molest Norma Jean around the age of eight years old. This pedophile will give Norma Jean candy and coins to keep her quiet. And finally, when Norma Jean gets up the guts to say something to her mother Gladys, Gladys really doesn't care. Gladys tells Norma Jean that we can't lose the money on that border. We're too financially dependent on it. Gladys not making really wise decisions and will soon again descend into her mental illness. Gladys will be back in the institution where she pretty much stays on and off until her death in 1984. But what happens to Norma Jean? A friend of Gladys's, her name is Grace McKee, will take Norma Jean in. And again, a little bit of stability A little bit of joy for Norma Jean. Grace and Norma Jean go to matinee movies. They'll dress up. They will play together. This is sort of like having anti-mame for your guardian. Norma Jean thinks it's amazing, right? We're having chocolate for dinner. And this really does plant into Norma Jean the love of movies. Movies are and always have been a thing. For the child, but Grace really does indulge Norma Jean in this love of film. She'll take Norma Jean to Grauman's Chinese Theater and put her hands and feet in the cement of all the stars that came before her. One of Norma Jean's favorite actresses, Jean Harlow, dies when Norma Jean is 11 and Norma Jean is simply inconsolable. Unfortunately, Grace is going to run out of money. And in September 1935, Norma Jean is sent back to an orphanage. I feel like this poor child never gets a break. Anything that has caused the slightest bit of anything that just simply isn't trauma for her has gotten ruined just as soon as Norma Jean begins to gain a little bit of grounding in herself or what a life of stability and permanence might look like. This goes on for a few years, but a bright spot here in 1940, Grace has now married a man, a new guy, Doc Goddard. And in 1940, Grace will return to take back in Norma Jean. Here, Norma Jean has a half-sister and gets another dog, a spaniel named Ruffles, and things are finally pretty okay again. Norma Jean is looking for good things and maybe smooth sailing from this point on. But it's not that long after 1941 that Grace will announce that the Goddards, 
are going to move to Virginia, and they're going to leave Norma Jean behind. Grace and her husband would not get paid if they took Norma Jean with them, which is the reason on the surface, but maybe there's something a little bit more sinister going on. Depending on the research and whichever way it goes down, there possibly is an incident of Doc Goddard drinking and molesting Norma Jean, and the family is leaving the state as an evasive action to get out of some legal hot water. By the time Norma Jean is 15, she is about to be out on her own tail with not much to speak of. No one likes the thought of her returning to an orphanage, but her Auntie Grace does get an idea. And Auntie Grace is going to go have a little talk with their neighbor, Mrs. Doherty. Mrs. Doherty is 100% in for this plan that Aunt Grace Goddard has concocted. And these two women set their sights on Mrs. Doherty's young son, Jim, Norma Jean's literal next-door neighbor. Jim is 20, Norma Jean is 15. Jim thinks that Norma Jean is way too young to pay too much attention to. She's a child, but there is a Christmas dance coming up. And Mrs. Doherty and Grace Goddard are pretty determined about their plan, They convince Jim to take her to the dance, and Jim finds out that Norma Jean might be a little bit more grown up than he had originally estimated. Jim and Norma Jean begin dating in January 1942 and will proceed to date for about six months before they marry June 19, 1942, a mere two and a half weeks after Norma Jean celebrates her 16th birthday. Jim is 21. Norma Jean is newly 16, and at this point, she will drop out of high school, and Jim and Norma Jean will move to Catalina Island for Jim to begin his military training. This is a terrific time for us to take a quick break and hear from our sponsors this week. See you on the other side of Break Investigators for the rest of the story. Does Monday at the office feel like a storm? Not with Microsoft Copilot. That feeling when Copilot gets everyone up to speed instantly? It's sunny again. When Copilot simplifies complex data so your teams can act, that sun's shining on a beach. And when Copilot uncovers hidden insights, you're on that beach with your people and you find buried treasure. That's Microsoft Copilot. Learn more at Microsoft.com slash AI for all. Making everyone happy on vacation isn't easy. But you know what is? Going to Aruba. All you have to do is walk out your door to find pristine pools, relaxing white sand beaches, and an island teeming with outdoor activities that'll put a smile on any face. You won't just feel great, you'll all feel great. Filled with a calmer, more peaceful vibe that radiates Aruba's warmth. And the best part is, it never fades. That's the Aruba effect. Plan your family trip at aruba.com. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. 
Oh, sweet 16-year-old Norma Jean. She is a devoted housekeeper. Her husband Jim will recall when his brother comes over and takes all the labels off all the cans that are in the cabinets. Jim will say that the two of them didn't know what they were having for dinner for a real long time. Norma Jean has dolls. She's unsophisticated. She's childlike. She's even wanting to start a family. During her first marriage, Jim will recall her trying to bring a cow into their home just to get it out of the rain. They will have a collie named Muggsy. Norma Jean does try to track down a man who might be her father. He denies this claim. And Norma Jean, just like all of us, isn't a real fan of rejection. Her life here is a mix of good things and bad things. Gladys will come to visit, but Gladys does not recognize her daughter. Norma Jean, though, with surprise cans and a dog named Muggsy, is looking at the future ahead of her. Again, good things, bad things. Bad things, she's unclaimed by her father, and Norma Jean might be thinking that she's probably going to go insane like her mother has. I can imagine that this would weigh on you. But Norma Jean is working towards a little bit more stable of a life with the comfort and care of her husband. But any stability that she may have had flies right out the window when Jim will ship off to the Pacific Front in the spring of 1944. Norma Jean will write Jim's mother in this letter dated June 15, 1944, Norma Jean says she owes her so much. She loves Jim more than anyone, and she will never be happy with anyone else. Norma Jean talks of how much they miss each other. And just a few days after this letter was written, they would have been celebrating their two-year wedding anniversary. But Jim is on the Pacific front, and Norma Jean needs some things to do. What is she doing? At the time, she's gotten a job. She's packing parachutes in a factory, working for the war effort. And this is where a photographer is visiting to take some promotional shots. And Norma Jean is captured in some of these images. The Blue Book Agency will see these photos. And in March 1946, Marilyn does apply and begins to start working, being a photographer's model mostly in magazines, but she learns through everyone telling her that this is nice money, Norma Jean, but you're going to make a whole lot more money if you do some cheesecake photos. Marilyn will write to her husband, stationed across the world, to get him to agree to this plan. She doesn't want to upset him. And Jim will respond back that, sure, maybe Norma Jean, that's okay for now, be in the photos that you want, but when I get home from the war, you have to stop this. We all know how that's going to go. Marilyn doesn't really stop it because the camera adores her. Within six months, Norma Jean is making enough cash to quit her job at the factory. And by July 19th, 1946, she is a newly platinum blonde, and she will go to her screen test at 20th Century Fox. You have to remember the love that Norma Jean does have for Jean Harlow. And here Norma Jean is determined to make her Jean Harlow fantasy come true. 
The following month, Jim does return from the war, and Norma Jean will present Jim with divorce papers. Jim will say that it was Norma Jean's decision to get divorced. She pleads with him that she must be single in order to get a contract, and of course that doesn't mean they're breaking up. We'll still live together. Norma Jean will sign a six-month contract for $75 a week in August of 1946. In later interviews, Jim Doherty, Norma Jean's first husband, will recall that Norma Jean was kind and gentle, and she was not at all prepared to be in the toughest business in the world. He thinks that she would be far too fragile for that, which may have been true. Jim will agree to that divorce and sign the papers. Jim Doherty does end up being a Los Angeles police detective and will marry two more times. In his life, he will write two books about his relationship with Norma Jean after her death. The first is called The Secret Happiness of Marilyn Monroe. The second is to Norma Jean with Love, Jimmy. So where does this leave Norma Jean? Well, with the contract, Norma Jean is now Marilyn. And Marilyn, now 20 years old, is looking at a little bit more freedom. She can be her own boss. She's probably grown, hopefully a little bit more comfortable with some agency of her own, with her husband being gone away to war for a few years. Marilyn has a contract from a movie studio. She's changed her name at the studio's request from Marilyn Miller to Marilyn Monroe using her mother's maiden name. At the time, though, if you're signed to a studio, especially being an aspiring starlet like Marilyn Monroe was, being under contract is mostly showing up and looking pretty. But for Marilyn, that wasn't quite good enough for 20th Century Fox. They will drop her contract. And here, Marilyn will begin going to Hollywood stag parties. Still have to pay the bills, and in one of those parties, Marilyn will catch the eye of the 69-year-old movie mogul Joseph Skank. Joseph Skank, long-storied history. Again, you remember he was married to Norma Talmadge once upon a time, Norma Jean's moniker of naming at birth. But Joseph Skank, He's 69 years old and kind of greasy, chomps cigars. Imagine the picture you get in your head and that's everything you think he is. But Joe Skank really falls hard for Marilyn. And she certainly has a special kind of currency. So she will begin to see Joseph Skank, but still see other men. There's a young fella named James Bacon. She is snuck into Skank's guest house. But when Joe Skank calls, wanting her right away, she will go. Joseph Skank is going to put in a call to his friend, Harry Cohn, the head of Columbia, and Marilyn will get a part and a contract in 1948. When she is signed to Columbia Pictures, Marilyn does have a little chihuahua dog that she will name Josepha in honor of Joe Skank. But the thing I want you to know about this pattern, this is the first time that you will see a pattern of old, rich, influential man in Hollywood 
as well as a young, handsome fling that Marilyn is negotiating both at the same time. Again, it's the first time that you'll see this pattern, but it will not be the last. Marilyn naturally is thrilled to have another contract and to be working at Columbia. Here, Marilyn will fall hard again in love, this time with a voice coach named Fred Carger. Fred Carger works with Marilyn during her time at Columbia, and Fred had recently separated and had a young daughter as well. And Marilyn falls hard for Fred Carger, and Fred tells Marilyn that he just can't see himself marrying her. Marilyn would be no way a suitable mother for his young daughter. As you can imagine, this upset Marilyn Monroe pretty deeply. Fred Carger's mother, Ann Carger, really liked Marilyn as soon as she met her. And Marilyn and Fred's mother will remain friends until the end of Marilyn's life. But Fred Carger is not going to be swayed. Interesting little tidbit here. Fred Carger will marry again in 1952. When Fred does remarry, it is to actress Jane Wyman. Fred and Jane will marry in 1952. This is following Jane Wyman's 1949 divorce from future president Ronald Reagan. The interesting thing about this Jane Wyman-Fred Carger pairing, I'm so curious about these second times around when they happen in relationships. Jane and Fred marry, divorce, remarry, and divorce again. Two times up and out for them. But in 1948, 1949, it could be the love of Fred Carger and Marilyn sort of looking to find a way to extol some independence. Marilyn will move out of Joseph Skank's guest house and into her own apartment, only to have the opportunity for Harry Cohn, the Columbia president and founder, to set his sights on Marilyn now. Harry will invite Marilyn onto his yacht, and Marilyn will innocently ask, is Mrs. Cohn going with us? Mrs. Cohn is not going with them, and it doesn't take very long in Hollywood for Marilyn to learn the lesson, which many other aspiring starlets learn, that at that time in Hollywood to get ahead, you need to be sleeping with directors or producers or heads of studios. It's a pretty dangerous game to be trading favors within. But Marilyn does get that lesson. Sleeping with important people will get you ahead. And here comes one more, Johnny Hyde. Johnny Hyde is a talent agent. We heard last week in our episode about Romanoffs that this meeting of Marilyn and Johnny happened here. Some say that meeting happens at the Racket Club of Palm Springs. But I'm going to go with our man Nick from last week's episode about the connection of Johnny and Marilyn. Johnny Hyde in 1949 is in his mid-50s. He is a powerful Hollywood agent. At the time, he's the vice president of the William Morris Agency on the West Coast. Johnny Hyde has been a huge player in the 1930s and 1940s. He has represented all the famous actresses, Lana Turner, Rita Hayworth. And immediately, 
Johnny Hyde will see Marilyn Monroe as a love interest. Unfortunately for Marilyn, and Johnny too, Johnny is married. He has four children. This does not stop Johnny and Marilyn from spending a quiet weekend in Palm Springs that appears to be mutually beneficial for them both. Johnny Hyde will leave his wife and children, which is a scandal, but Marilyn does love and appreciate what Johnny's doing for her. Johnny will maintain a room at the Beverly Carlton Hotel for Marilyn. He will provide the finances for her to have a few simple surgeries. Marilyn's overbite is corrected. Her nose has a little bit of work done to it. And Johnny Hyde at this point is really shopping her to all the studios, casting her as sexy and vulnerable. She'll be looking to claim parts in short order within the asphalt jungle and all about Eve. But Marilyn at this point, right, this is all scandalous. And Harry Cohn at Columbia wants out. And Marilyn now will catch the eye of Daryl Zanuck, who will re-sign her to her original studio of 20th Century Fox. This is a short-term gig, six months alone, but Johnny Hyde is facilitating it. Johnny's doing more than that. He is talking marriage. He wants to build a life with Marilyn Monroe, and Marilyn Monroe is living with the words that she fears most, which are homewrecker. Marilyn does not want to hurt his wife or his children. Johnny does provide a benefit to Marilyn's career. He will get her signed to 20th Century Fox and that six-month contract extended into seven years. This happens in December of 1950, just a few days before Johnny Hyde suffers a fatal heart attack and passes away. Marilyn is devastated by the loss of her mentor, promoter in Hollywood. Some research implies here that this might have been Marilyn's first attempt at suicide, where she will down a number of sleeping pills. This is end of December 1950, but that's not going to stop our Marilyn. In January 1951, Marilyn will report to work on the last film that Johnny Hyde arranged for her. This film is called As Young As You Feel, and it is here where we're going to leave our dear Marilyn for today, just on the precipice of her stardom, with so much more to discover about her and her connections and her community throughout the next dozen years of her life. Investigators, thank you so, so much for tuning in today. This is only the beginning of our Marilyn episodes coming in the next few weeks. Be sure you're subscribed to Done and Done so you don't miss a minute of the journey. Again, thanks for listening. Your kind reviews, your wonderful emails, your support and encouragement and love is most deeply felt and oh so cherished and appreciated. Until we meet again, my friends, stay curious and keep on investigating. Ah, mmm. The first taste of rare bourbon you finally got your hands on. That's nice. At Caskers.com, we make this experience easy. 
Caskers is a one-stop spirit curator with an impressive selection of exclusive, sought-after, rare, and household names in the realm of premium spirits and champagne. Discover the top flavors of the year now by going to caskers.com and using code WELCOME10 for $10 off your first purchase. Get $10 off your first purchase with code WELCOME10 at caskers.com. Thanks for listening to the Done and Done podcast, a Hemlock Creatives production. You can email us at doneanddone at gmail.com. You can follow us on Instagram at Done and Done Podcast. For further information about our episodes or sources, you can find us online at www.doneanddone.com. See you next week, friends.